Well, good morning, church family. I'm Tim. I'm the location pastor at Volvo. Now, you might be asking if you're sitting at Volvo, why did I just say that again? Well, the reason is because today we have something pretty cool happening. In fact, if you're sitting at Kempsville right now, you are joining us as well. So would everyone at Volvo welcome everyone who's at our Kempsville location to the gathering this morning? Yeah. And if you're at Kempsville and you're wondering, wait a minute, I saw Pastor Eric, what's going on? No big deal. He just asked his uh, better looking, younger staff member to fill in for him during 11 o'clock. Um, I'm not joking. But on top of that, uh, on top of that, uh, we have the privilege of having a lead pastor who is really involved in living out the mission that he compels us to live each week in uh, helping those who are far off be brought near and in leading people to Christ. And so he's on his way right now uh, to Roanoke to help our state convention continue to lead forward and leading others to Christ. And so we're just thankful to have a pastor uh, who cares about the Great Commission, who cares about the gospel, and who deeply cares about us. And so that being said, I'm going to try my best to fill in for those at Kempsville uh, and for us here at Volvo this morning for uh, Pastor Eric and bringing the word. If you are a first-time guest and you're at Kempsville uh, or you're a first-time guest here, welcome. We are one church in two locations, and I'm at our Volvo location. We have people, obviously, at our Kempsville location. And I want you to know if you're at Kempsville and the preaching isn't that good this week, just come on back next week and uh, you'll hear something better, all right? So you have to settle for me this morning. Poor Volvo stuck with me most of the time. So that being said, turn with me in your Bible to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. We've been working our way through the book of Proverbs, discovering what it is to live a wise life. As we've gone through the book of Proverbs, we have learned this beautiful reality that the book of Proverbs begins with uh, the idea that the fulfilled wise life looks like living like Jesus. In fact, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We know in the New Testament that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what that means is that what God designed for us in Scripture, in our lives, is that as we grow more and more like Jesus, we will grow more and more wise or wiser and wiser, whatever the proper grammar would be. That God has designed you not to be as you are apart from him, nor to be as you are with him, but now with him as a follower of Christ, God has designed you in Christ to be more and more like him. That where you act foolish in life, you are not acting like Christ. And to be honest, you're not acting like you ought to be in Christ, who has made you a brand new creation. But in Christ, we are designed to honor and glorify God being made in his image in every area of life. And that's what the book of Proverbs helps us see. How practically what it looks like to live the wise life or a New Testament language to live the Christ life and what it means to glorify God in every area of that Christ life. In fact, this morning, what we're going to look at in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 6, is the idea that 
who we are in Christ, how we walk in Christ, the Christ life finds rest in Christ's words. That you as a follower of Christ are designed to live as Christ tells us to live, compels us to live in Scripture. Because to be honest, to live outside of how God tells us to live in His Word ultimately leads to death. And as a follower of Christ, you don't die eternally because God has saved you even from yourself. But to live outside of God's design revealed Scripture, you will just simply find yourself exhausted at best. Today is Veterans Day, and so listen, y'all, um, seven years in the Navy, uh, blood, sweat, and tears into that. You know we're going to go into some Navy illustrations this morning, not because of, not with the cool things that happen, but the stories that stick with you, I'm telling you, are just the dumb things that happened, right? Like, that's just what, it, it's what makes life fun later on. Uh, one of the many times that you look back and go, that I look back and go, well, that, that was just stupid. <laughs> um, I was diving underneath um, a, a submarine, and underneath a submarine, there are like uh, these things called ballast tanks that give it ballast and help it float. How a big steel thing floats is with ballast tanks. And so, as when you dive under there, in order to make sure that when you get in there, it's a big pocket of air, you can breathe the air, or they go through a process to make it breathable, someone comes along and tests the air, and they do it through what's called a pneumo, uh, and, 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 uh, oh, something that tests your depth, right, using air pressure. And uh, what happens is you go up there, and you kind of stick it in there, and you're up there in the air, and someone on the top side, where all of your air goes back to the console, unscrews this, um, this valve, and so that they can through physics or whatever, the air pushes back up through the hose. Science, it's amazing. And it pushes back up through the hose, and so they test the air on top to see whether or not you can breathe this air. Well, as I was sitting up in this ballast tank, uh, waiting for them to tell me whether or not the air was breathable, suddenly, as I was breathing in my helmet, my helmet, as I breathed out, and breathed back in, it went and sucked to my face. Now, I've been, I had been diving for a while at that point, and um, you maybe have been alive for however many years you've been alive, at least a couple, and um, you understand that um, breathing, well, breathing is important, right? <laughs> like, it, you, you, when you don't breathe for a while, you notice that, okay? <laughs> All sorts of things that can happen. In fact, some of you during the week need to just stop and take a deep breath. But in that, you understand that, like, you ought to breathe. And so I breathed back in, thought, well, that's odd. Usually I breathe out, I breathe back in, and there's air available, and there wasn't air available. And so I breathed out, tried to push out whatever I had left, breathed back in, and it smacked me in the face again. And I thought, that is not good. And so... With every breath that I had, or with the little bit of breath that I had, I simply just said, out of air. Now, when you're out of air, there are some emergency procedures that happen. You go through a long process of training to know what to do in the event you find yourself as a Navy diver out of air and 
diving. And believe it or not, you cannot breathe water. It is really, really hard. If you don't believe me, go home tonight, fill up the bathtub, and just take a deep breath, see how that goes, all right? It is really, really hard. And so you learn how to go through a process to make sure you get to breathable air. In this specific instance, because it's not the only time this kind of thing happened, go Navy. We, uh, uh, you have what's called an emergency gas supply. And this specific one was a scuba regulator type thing that was next to me and attached to, because of what we were doing, uh, a line on the surface. And so I knew, because air had not come, that my emergency procedure is to remove my mask and grab my EGS, my emergency gas supply. Well, I went to take a breath from my EGS, and guess what happened? No air. I thought, well, that's odd, all right? Because now I have no other option other than breathing uh, toxic air and hoping it's good enough and will give me enough oxygen to, uh, to metabolize to make it to the surface. There's that option. Or I can just hope there's enough left in my lungs to make it to the surface. And so I chose route number two because I thought I know what's in me is okay. And well, through a series of training, you learn like, I don't know, I got like three, four minutes. I mean, as, as long as the world doesn't start going like this, like you're fine. Once it start going, starts going like this, you're in trouble. And so I began to make my way to the surface. And as I got out on top, blowing up the entire way so you don't die. As you get to the surface, I gasped for air on the back of the dive boat, and like a good chief, he began yelling at me, y'all, what are you doing up here, Whitney? Why aren't you down on project? We've been trying to talk to you this entire time, and gasping for breath, all I could say was, I have no air. That sent off a bomb of emotion through our dive Team. Suddenly, everyone began, began walking or running in a frantic, figuring out what in the world was going on. And as we went through that, here's what we found out. There's something called um, OPs and EPs. It's a booklet. It's a, it's a book. And what it's designed to do is it gives you a way that you're to operate the system in your different components so that something like Someone being under the water and not having air doesn't happen. And on top of that, it tells you how to prepare, how to do uh, uh, the setup, how to run it so that it goes smoothly, and what to do on the shutdown side so that the next day, the person coming in or whoever runs it next is coming into something that they understand and can run from that moment forward. And here's what happened. The person who had run the system the previous day was so comfortable in his position that he had simply forgot to open or he closed the wrong valve and instead closed the wrong one. And so the next day when we came in to start it up, again, someone who had been so comfortable with the process that they forgot, although they signed off that they did it, they forgot to open the valve that was closed and close the valve that was opened, which is a part of the book that tells them what to do. And then on top of that, 
the emergency gas supply. That is what you have to come home on if something goes wrong was simply overlooked even though it was signed that it was open because of this reason. Well, we never really use it anyways. Who y'all deep sea, right? That's <laughs> my brothers and sisters right there. And in that process, there was a little bit of a reckoning, to say the least. Because those who knew and did not follow were then showed what it looks like to follow even though you know. There's, there's, literally, a, there's literally a book. There's literally a book that shows you what it looks like in these situations, the steps to follow, the parameters, the training you go through to know what to do and not to do, even if it's outside of the direct written, that within the boundaries of what it means, how to process. Y'all know where I'm going with this. When do you find yourself outside of what is written to gain and keep Life, you find yourself dead at worst and extremely dangerously tired at best. And you might say, Tim, what in the world does this have to do with the Bible? Well, what we find out in Scripture is that there is, there's actually something written so that you and I would know and understand what it looks like to follow God. So that we do not find ourselves in a situation where we are facing death or uncertainty, at best doing everything we can to get back to life the way that we know how, and at worst, dead because of sin, there is a book that is written that tells us how to exist and live within the boundaries of how God has designed us to be deployed down here on this world. And it is exhausting when we find ourselves outside of the standards of Scripture that God has revealed for us who are in Jesus Christ. But we're not the only ones. You've been there before. You know what it looks like to live outside of the boundaries of God's word. Or you know what it looks like to face something and try thing after thing after thing only to realize that maybe God has something to say that you don't know. You know what it is as the writer of this proverb began in verse 1 by saying, the man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. And do you know why he says that? Look at verse 5 and 6. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. And then after this, y'all can just uh, not pay attention anymore at Kempsville. And y'all have to pay attention because I can see you here at Volvo. After you, here's the whole matter. Once you learn this, you will know what this writer is getting at in Proverbs. Verse 5 and 6 Every word of God proves true. He was exhausted because he was trying to figure out truth that is not God's word. And he finds out every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. That God is designed in his word to be over you, protecting you, leading you through even the most difficult circumstances. That he has given us his word to guide and guard and govern our life 
in Christ so that we don't find ourselves in a place where we are simply out of air and out of life. And we find ourselves there in the Christian life. Look at verse 6. Do not add to his words. When we take God's word and we begin to ignore or add to it what we want to add. And y'all, that happens when we become so complacent to the things of God, we forget what it means to be a follower of God. When we take for granted the work of God in our lives that he has reconciled us and redeemed us as if his call to us by the Holy Spirit through the word of God is something less than total, complete surrender and commitment to him. That we add to his word and look at the last part of verse 6. Lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. That we're found in a place where we add to the word of God to supplement our life in the direction we want it to be. And in the end, God is saying, that is not why I designed you to be in me. That's not what I want a Christian who bears my name to look like. And so something happens that begins to translate within us what it looks like to live a life in Christ. Something happens when we become Christians, as we follow Christ, that causes us to change our mind and learn different and see this world different than we did if we did not know Christ. And that's what Proverbs chapter 30, now verses 2 through 4 is going to help us see. We're going to see that what God does for us in Christ is he calls us to align our lives with his word so that we don't find ourselves twisting his design for the Christian life and find ourselves before God having lied to everybody else and trying to lie to God that this is what it means to be a Christian. And we know that that is not what God wants for us in Christ. In fact, if you're wondering what it looks like, check out verse 2 and 3. Here's, the, here's how uh, Agur, the writer of this Proverbs, find, proverb, finds himself as he is looking at the reality that he's tired from trying to live the godly life on his own knowledge and merit. He says, surely I am too stupid to be a man. Now, some of you are sitting next to somebody that you would agree with that statement about them. But you know what it is to come to the conclusion that I've tried everything I can and I just cannot seem to get it. Verse uh, 2, continuing on, he says, I have not the understanding of a man. Verse 3, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. You know what it's like to strive and try and try in your walk with Christ only to realize you're just simply getting nowhere. And if you're getting nowhere in your walk with Christ, here's what this passage is going to do. First, it's going to help us see that when we walk with Christ as followers of Christ, he causes us to learn what is actually glorious. Now, this is important. Look at chapter 30, verse 4, the first half. 
this, the, pro, the, the, the writer of these Proverbs begins to ask all of these rhetorical questions of himself as he's realizing he's not getting anywhere in his walk with Christ, and he begins to ask these questions about those around him and about himself, and he asks this first question in verse 4. He says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? He's looking around going like, it seems like I'm looking at how everyone is acting around me and looking at myself and realizing like the answer to getting to God does not exist with those around me. Like there's someone who has to go up to heaven to understand what heaven is and come back from heaven and tell us what it means to have a relationship with God. And as I look at everyone else around me, it seems that that trip to heaven is a one-way ticket. He realizes that it's not all of that looking around at those around him. He, he needs something that is otherworldly and outside the example of human nature to realize what it means to have a relationship with God. The Bible tells us that there is someone who's done that. The Bible tells us that there is somebody who, God knowing that you would not make it to him, came down to earth to tell you what he is all about. That person, Sunday school answer, is Jesus. Did you know that through the gospel God opens your eyes to see someone who actually is from heaven, who has come to earth and went back up and is coming back. Did you know that through the gospel, we understand that God loved you even though you would never make your way to him? That God loved you even though you did everything to run from him? That God makes himself known to you, even though you have sinned against him. And that through the gospel, God knew you could never get to him. And like this Proverbs writer says, looking around going, I need somebody who's outside of all this to come tell me who God is and what he's all about. God answers that and says, that's why I sent myself. That's why Jesus came. So that you who had no hope of ever earning salvation, of ever accidentally stumbling your way into the knowledge of God, God has made himself known to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, verse 6, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The Bible tells us you want to see somebody who knows what it is to be in the presence of God, come tell us what it is and go back up, you look at Jesus Christ. Unmatched, unrivaled, unlike anyone else who's ever been or ever will be on earth, although he's coming back again. You want to know what it is to live a life 
that glories in Christ and in, Christ, in God and in God alone. You look at Jesus Christ. God's word tells us who is indeed glorious. God tells us that God who was in the beginning, Jesus in the beginning with God, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. And here's where it gets real, where we feel stupid in our Christian life. If we exist to glorify anyone else or anything else other than Jesus Christ with our lives, we will find ourselves exhausted over and over and over. And so here's the application question. When it comes to your life, who or what do you aim at glorifying the most? What does it mean to glorify? The word glory just means uh, beauty or value or worth. That in the Bible, Jesus is the one who is worthy of, who has all beauty, who's unlike any other thing that you have ever experienced or anyone else that you have ever seen. He is unmatched in his worth. He is unmatched in value. He is unmatched in beauty. And the Bible tells us, God tells us in Scripture, that we exist to glorify Him and Him alone. Or else, we come to the conclusion that the writer of this proverb does, we have added to the Word of God. You see, when we take something else and begin to raise it up, as the supreme value and beauty that defines our life, we are finding ourselves in a place that is not in line with what God has designed you for in Christ. When it comes to the direction of your life, what does your life point to as most glorious? Y'all, it is really exhausting to try to convince people that something is glorious that is not. It's like, to borrow C.S. Lewis's illustration, going to Niagara Falls and then being super impressed by a dripping faucet in your hotel. Once you've seen the beauty of Niagara Falls. It's like no other waterfall in the world compares, let alone some silly dripping faucet. It's like once you have beheld, once I beheld the beauty of my bride, no one else compares. No one else compares. To somehow try to convince myself that there is beauty that can be matched by my bride is just simply ridiculous. Yeah, I earned brownie points there. That's what I did. But that's just ridiculous, right? It's like once you've seen the beauty of a great game of football played, you can never cheer for the Cowboys again. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Because even though they seem like they should be able to do something every single year, they ruin it, right? Trying to convince others they're a good team is an exercise in futility. There you go. But you, you get my point. You get my point. Y'all, it is exhausting, and it ought to be exhausting as a follower of Christ to somehow try to position yourself as the best thing about your life when you know it's not true. That you are designed to raise up what is actually the most beautiful, what is actually the most wonderful in every aspect of your life, to see Jesus as glorious because he has been revealed as the one who is from heaven, has gone back to heaven, and has revealed the very glory of God to us. When we are followers of Christ, we learn what is actually glorious. Here's the second thing we learn. Continuing on in verse 4. Not only was he lamenting because he hadn't learned wisdom, he couldn't get himself to knowledge of the Holy One because he didn't know anyone who'd gone to heaven and come down, but also look at how he continues on with these next three phrases in verse 4. He says, who has gathered wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? The psalmist is looking at this and saying, listen, I, I have seen power, but there is power above all of this earthly power that trumps all earthly powers and authority." That once he began to look around and realize that every single kingdom will rise and fall. Every single time we position ourselves to get uh, some advancement at work, it's only as good for as long as we're there. You know why? Because they, they replace you as soon as you're gone. That true power and true authority was beyond anything that this guy had ever seen. That even as uh, Aladdin was just released on DVD, the live-action one, I'm still a, uh, I still like the cartoon better, but that's just me. I don't know if it's part of my childhood, or maybe it's because I'm weird, like I messed up or something. Like, as, as Jafar finds out, like, there's, there's always something more powerful going on. Every single, uh, every single uh, pursuit of power and authority and excellence has its limits because sometimes, someday, we all die and our authority does not live past our life. Man, but there is a power and authority that goes even beyond the ends of the earth. We know as Christians what is actually powerful, what goes beyond every single form of anything that could ever happen. Like we, we know somebody because of the Bible who goes beyond the term cancer. Like we know somebody because of the Bible who is more powerful than any obstacle you may have in your marriage, who's more powerful than your kid running away. Y'all, who's impressed at government uh, authority when you realize that will never change the heart of a loved one who simply comes against you all the time? There's something bigger and greater going on. And as followers of Christ, we understand 
that even we who were under the power of sin have been freed by God and the gospel. That there is an authority beyond every earthly power and authority. And you know who that is. It's Jesus Christ. The one who made all things. The one who can gather the winds in his fist. The one who established the earth by simply making it. The one who holds all things together. And this, uh, this uh, Proverbs writer is exhausted from convincing himself and others of what real power is. And as followers of Christ, we know every power has limits, but the unlimited power of God. And we exist in that power. We exist living out the very call of God in our lives as he lives out his will through us in with the Holy Spirit. And as we look, we can, uh, we can uh, sympathize with this guy going like, man, there's, there's way bigger things going on. There's got to be someone who has control of that. And man, there is. He, did you know that there is nothing outside of control of God? Like, it's such a, a simple statement that we often forget as we go in our lives and try to position ourselves or have conversations or find someone to sympathize or find an open ear. None of that is bad, but there is someone who we can have access to any time at all who has all power and all authority. And even the ends of the earth aren't too far for him because he made them and established them. Y'all, it is exhausting. It is exhausting to try to convince ourselves and others of limited, of things that have limited power as if they are limitless. Man, it is exhausting to rely on things that will fail and are not designed to last because there are things that we all face where we need an unlimited powerful God to act beyond all the power we could possibly understand. And that's what we find in Jesus Christ. We find someone who not only has the power to create this earth, but we understand in Scripture someone who comes in the end to recreate everything and make all things new. That the same God who called you out of darkness and brought you into light, that through the gospel, the same God who, brought, who you were old and made you new. Through the gospel, the same God who called you from being dead in sin to alive in Christ is the same God who has power over every situation in your life. Who has power over every relationship in your life. Who has power over every single aspect of your life. And so we submit knowing that he is all powerful. Although the writer of Proverbs is looking around saying, well, I don't know anybody who can do this. And we say, we know somebody. We know Jesus. So here's the application question. Truly, honestly, what do you believe is the most powerful thing in this world? 
Right? So how, how, do I, how, do I know, how do I know what that looks like? Well, what is the thing in this life that you listen to most as the authority over all things? I, I say this, I know we just had an election, y'all. I know we just had an election. Some of you have given up on all hope of all life because the vote didn't go your way. And I promise, I promise, I promise that God is not up in heaven saying, well, I don't know what to do now. I can't work in any of these situations. My party didn't win. Y'all, when Jesus comes back, none of the parties are going to be winners, right? There will be one side, and that is it. Y'all can clap at that. That some of you give so much power to so many other things, when the truth is, as Christians, we know all of these things in our lives work together for the good of God and those who are called according to His purpose. He is powerful over every situation. He is powerful over every disease. He's powerful over every relationship. He's power over every election. And we have to believe that because he is powerful over every sin and every boneheaded, stupid move you've ever done. And we know that he's powerful over that because not even death that you deserve could stop him from saving you. We know that Jesus is powerful. And we celebrate as Christians. We know what real power is. The ends of the earth. I know the God and serve the God who made those ends and goes beyond it. See, as Christians, we know not only what is actually powerful, but in the second, the third part of verse 4, we learn what is actually worth being made known. Now look at verse 4 again. Here's what the, the writer of Proverbs is writing. He says, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? You know where this is going. After this comes the conclusion, every word of God proves true. Oh, he is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Looking around, the writer of this proverb is looking around and saying, who can do these things? Who's who's worth knowing that can actually control these things? And we have a beautiful answer given to us in Scripture of understanding not only who is worthy of being known, but who is worthy of being made known. So what do we do with all this? Well, in a very practical way, we have to ask the question, If there is someone who is worthy of knowing and being made known, what do you live to make known in your life? 
I mean, like true, honest assessment category of your heart and what you live to make known most about you. What is, what's loudest about you? What is the thing that if it were not true about you, you would not be who you are? What's the thing if you were to survey your coworkers and say, what's the biggest thing, the loudest thing, the thing that I make known most about me? If you were to ask your spouse, what's the thing that drives me the most? Not the thing that drives me crazy the most. You might not like that answer. But the thing that drives me the most. If you ask your kids, hey, um, what, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think mom really, really makes known most about her life? Or if you're a dad, hey, what, what do you think dad makes most known about his life? And you pause for that answer. And you, and you listen to what those around you would say, the loudest thing about you is blank. Oh, what do you live to make known? All through Scripture, God compels us to make known Jesus. All from the beginning to the end, to make known and declare the work of God in Christ. Some of the last things that Jesus told us to do as Christians is to come to a place where we are making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that Christ has commanded them. That we, brothers and sisters, are called to know a God who is worth making known. To understand that He is powerful and over all things. To align our lives to, to, to that everything about us would exist to see Jesus as glorious. And so this morning, here we go. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time to reflect and think about what it would look like in our lives if we were as Christians, if you were as a follower of Christ, to really see Jesus as the most glorious thing in your life, what would that change? To really see Jesus as the one who is powerful over all things, how would that change your week? To really see Jesus as the one who is worth making known, loudest about your life, how would that change your interactions, what you're going into this week? In fact, I'm going to pray that the Lord would begin to tell us what that looks like, and then we're going to go into a response time. With every head bowed and every eye closed at both locations, let me pray for you, and let's see how the Lord would help you walk out of here more in love with Jesus and more like Him when we, than when He came in. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, why don't you just begin to ask yourselves the questions. What does it look like to point to Jesus as the most glorious thing about your life? And as you think about that, man, I, I bet there's 
sometimes crossing your mind where you've failed in that way? And when that happens, you place that before God and ask him to forgive you. Man, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He's not... He's not here to try to shame you for failing, but to forgive you and allow you to move forward to make God most glorious in your life this week. As you think about your life in your situation, in your environment, pointing to Jesus is powerful over all things. I bet what's going to come to mind is maybe some embarrassment about how that would or wouldn't work out. Or some confusion about how I would handle this situation. And maybe you need to take those and give them to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't have the words. Would you give me the words to help others see that you are most powerful? As you ask yourself the question, God, what is it that's most made known about my life? Would you begin to ask the Lord to help you see what you are really living to make known. And if that's not Jesus, ask him right now, God, would you help me to see what it would look like to make you loudest about me? And during this last song, at both locations, let's respond in a way that we would walk out of here Seeing Jesus is the thing most made known about our lives this week. Seeing Jesus is the most powerful over all things. And seeing Jesus is the most glorious over anything we could imagine. That we would live this life honoring and glorifying Him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being so good to us. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help everybody at every location to be challenged at what it means to live the Christ life. Lord, I, I thank you that you are not only worth being known, but you have made yourself known to us. Lord, I thank you that you are not only the most powerful over all things, but that, God, you have made your power available to us. Lord, I thank you, God, that not only that you are most glorious over all things, but you have revealed your glory to us in Jesus Christ. And I pray that during our response time, you would be honored and glorified, that, God, we would walk out of here more in love with Jesus and more like him than when we came in. And that, Lord, you would help us this week to represent you, to honor you, to glorify you, to walk boldly in your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.